Conley, and uh, every home is like the Cleaver home, right? Now, I know some of you, uh, including me, weren't alive when Leave it the Beaver started, but at the same time, we all know about the Cleavers because it's never been off the air. Um, Right after they stopped filming, reruns started in right away, and they, they've never been off the air. But one of the things, I think, is you look at their home, and you see their values. You see how easy, how simple, how beautiful you know, things seem to be. And, and you look at life, and you just realize that something isn't right here. And I was asking my parents about this uh, a while back, and they said, yeah, even in the 1950s, the, the Cleaver home was a little bit fictitious. It wasn't exactly as perfect and the values as great as what they sort of displayed even in the late 50s. Even so, though, if you compare that time and that era and the Cleaver home to today, I think we all would say likely and lament that the values aren't the same as they used to be. I've heard people talk about that and, and say that. And so this series we're looking at is so hugely important. And here's why values are important. And we're going to come back to this phrase in, in other weeks. Basically, more than any other human factor, the values that you have shape the life that you have. So clearly God is the biggest factor, but human factors, the things that we can control as much as we can, the values that you have will shape the life that you have. And think about it. Whether you're five or 105, almost every decision you make is based on values, based on what you think is important in the big decisions like where should we move or what job should I have to the really little decisions like what should I watch on TV. Um, how many of you watched football last night and are uh, man enough to admit it? All right. I see some Packer fan hands go up a little quicker than, uh, than Viking fan hands. And I know there's more people watching the game last night than actually participated in putting up their hands. I know that as a fact. But if you watched the game last night, did it happen like this? You know, you're sitting on the couch and flipping through the channels, and, uh, you know, oh, there's this team wearing purple playing. Um, I think I'll sit for three hours and watch it. Um, it didn't happen that way, did it? Uh, you cleared your schedule or changed some things around even from a normal Saturday night, possibly, to clear out a three-hour window to watch a game. Why? Because that team wearing purple is valuable to you. Maybe you don't like football. That's fine. Think about Christmas. Is it a coincidence that during the week of December 25th every year that your family suddenly shows up? Is that just coincidence? Or is your family valuable and the birth of Jesus is valuable and so you plan, you get off of work, you pay the gas to get wherever you need to be, you clean your home. Why? Because there are certain things that are valuable and you make decisions based on what's valuable. Um, if I could make it, this picture come even more to light, let me use the example of um, building a house. 
And before you actually put the, the wood structure up, um, you, you have to do a lot of planning um, to, uh, to survey it, and then you also will use concrete forms, which if you see in this picture, that's the wood part a lot of times when you're building a house. You, you take all a bunch of planning and, and, and work to just get those forms in the right place. And guess what happens? When the concrete truck finally comes, uh, I'm not saying their job is easy, but their job is easier, okay? Because all you do is you take the concrete and you put it in the form because the form dictates where the slab is going to be. And the form dictates how the wall's going to look and where the walls are going to go. The work, the planning, the, the important part was the form. The concrete just follows the form. That's what values are like. What is it that you value? Because what you value, like concrete forms, is going to dictate what the house looks like. Maybe you've never thought about this. But you know what? Even if you haven't, you have values whether you've thought about them or not. We all have them. It's just a matter of whether we've thought about them or have the right ones. Now, this is true in the personal life. And it's true with groups of people, too. It's true with churches. Um, what's valuable to us as a group? What's important to Bethlehem? And so about six months ago, as I said earlier, we put out a survey to that effect to our congregation to kind of see what all of us were thinking. And what I'm saying next is not to anyone's glory but God's. I know you'll feel the same. The reason, one of the reasons why we did this is because over the last few years, we've had lots of people who have, have come to our church and said, Bethlehem's a special place. Or people who've gone to church all their life even have said, I've never been to a church like Bethlehem. And whether you agree with that or not, or if you feel the same way, the one thing we cannot deny is that in an era where churches all over our country are declining, God has blessed us with tremendous growth that isn't stopping. And so it's important, it was important for us, you know, what is it? It's God, but he uses us. He uses our priorities. We're his instruments. And I'll tell you what, it's not a building. It's, it's not a worship style. It's not certain members, and it certainly isn't certain pastors. It's more foundational than that, of what makes, what's important, what's our values. And uh, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at that. As I had mentioned earlier, um, the first one is Jesus-centered, and it is the foundational one. All the others we're going to talk about, and you can see all seven on that cardstock insert in your bulletin, um, all the others are offshoots of the first. Now, when we say that Jesus is valuable, um, lots of people say that, don't they? In fact, as I was thinking about it, almost every religious organization, even the non-Christian ones, respect and value Jesus. You're kind of forced to, if you're not a Christian and a different religion, to deal with Jesus because he lived, people followed him. So a lot of people view him as a teacher who had some good direction for life, but everyone values Jesus. We value more than that. 
our value is that we are Jesus-centered. And what that means brings us perfectly intersecting with our text for today. Um, Jesus was near the end of his life, and being that he was true God, uh, unlike us, we don't know when we're going to die, he knew. And so he started to prepare his disciples, his followers, um, for that, and, and to just start to talk to them more so, more about the things that are important, and also to prepare them for him not being with them. So they were north of the Sea of Galilee in an area called Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks them a question that made, forced them to wrestle with what's the center of their life and who Jesus is. We turn to Matthew 16 as we kind of uh, drop in on that conversation that they had. We'll begin with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he has asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? What, what are people saying about me? Now, this is kind of an odd question, I, I think. I mean, if someone at your work or your neighborhood came up to you and said, hey, what's everyone saying about me? What, what's, what's the word on the street about me? You'd probably look at them funny and, and likely say, you know what? I mean, don't be stuck on yourself. I mean, no one's talking about you. Um, but for Jesus, <laughs> this was true. In that area of the world and in that time, everyone knew Jesus. There were opinions about him. There were rumors about him. People were talking about Jesus. And so he asks the disciples to get them thinking. What are they saying? Verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. He was an Old Testament prophet. Still others, Jeremiah, also a prophet or one of the other prophets. So, much like today, there was a lot of confusion about why is Jesus valuable. And you can see from these answers that even if people didn't necessarily totally get who Jesus was, they recognized that he was from God, they honored him, they understood that he was a good man, that they would tie him to Elijah and Jeremiah. But they didn't have it quite right, and so then Jesus meaning the people that the disciples were reporting about. So Jesus asked them a more important question. It's the most important question for each one of us. He said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And if you know anything about the disciples without even reading this section, you could probably guess who spoke for the group, okay? Um, Peter, he liked to talk. Sometimes he didn't think before he talked. This time, he had a really good answer. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What we're going to see in the next verses is that Jesus takes time to really commend this answer. So I want to just stop for a moment and look at exactly what Peter says. He says, you're the Christ. I think Pastor Steve talked about this about a month ago or so. Um, Christ is not Jesus' last name. They go together a lot. Um, but uh, Christ is a title. It means the chosen one or the anointed one, the one. Okay. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, he's saying that all of those Old Testament prophecies, all the thing the Bible says 
He's acknowledging that he's not just a guy from God. He is the Messiah, the Savior. Peter's making a beautiful statement that I believe that you are not just a person from God, but you're what the Bible's all about. You are the one who's come to save us and to save the world. And then he also mentions him being the living God, which is an acknowledgement of him being from God. Now, what Jesus says next shows you how important Jesus feels Peter's answer is. And if you believe, verse 16, and have believed it for a while, you may not think that to be a big deal because it's been something that you've known for a long time. But I want you to rejoice again as you see what Jesus does to know what a blessing it is to believe, verse 16. Here's what Jesus says. He says, first of all, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Pause there real quick. God's saying, and it's true for us, that if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, it's not just a decision you made. It's something that God has worked in us. That we can't come to that understanding without God's presence and his strength to break our stony hearts and to give us faith. And then verse 18. And I tell you that you're Peter. And that's kind of weird. I mean, if I'd come up to you, Craig, and say, you are Craig, and you'd be like, I know I'm Craig. Why did you tell me that? We'll, we'll get back to that. You are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades, that is, the evil world, the devil, the demons, unbelievers, that which is against God, Hades will not overcome it. I mentioned earlier this was a monumental thing that Peter said, and Jesus takes time to, to make that known. And here's how he did that. Not all of you may know this, but Peter's parents didn't name him Peter. In fact, if you look at verse 17, Jesus says, Simon, that was his given name. And likely, it would seem, um, that this was the, the very first time that Peter was given the name Peter. That what Peter had just said was so huge, so important, that it was worth changing his name over. So it wasn't like me telling, reminding Craig that his name's Craig. It was someone named Frank being told their name is now Craig, but Craig's a nicer name than Peter was because what Jesus was telling everyone to call Peter in the Greek is um, stone. From now on, everyone call Craig Stone. Now, as funny as that sounds in our language, it would have sounded just as ridiculous then because Peter was never a name, if you look at Greek literature, before this point. This was the first time someone was named Peter. So it would literally be like everyone now call Craig Stone. And uh, not just stone, but it, with the ending Petros, a little stone, a stone that you can hold in your hand, okay? Not bad to be a stone. I mean, I'd like to be the rock, but uh, the little stone is okay. Jesus had a bigger point. And he, go, he goes on in what I read And he said, and on this rock, 
another form of Peter, not Petrus, which meant little stone, but in the Greek Petra, which meant big rock, monument, cliff. So not on Peter rock will I build the church, but on what you just said. There's a bigger cliff stone I'll build my church, that being your confession that Jesus is the Christ, that being that Jesus is the foundation, Jesus is the very center. Peter Petrus confessed that Jesus, Petra, will now be, the, will always be the center of the church, at the center of who we are as people called Christians. In fact, uh, there was this really cool object lesson going on. Um, up here on the screen, you'll see a picture I took when uh, me and a few of our members here at Bethlehem visited Caesarea Philippi. Um, houses crumble, big cliffs like that, they're the same that they were 2,000 years ago, right? Jesus and the disciples, as he's talking to them, would have seen this cliff. And I don't know whether he pointed to it or not, but it is an awesome children's message right there as Jesus is talking. Your little stone, and on Petra, I'm going to build my church. There's something huge that we can build the church on. Jesus, that foundation. Now, Jesus the Petra, that's a little bit more than I respect Jesus because he had good teachings, isn't it? To build your life on something, to make him the center of everything you do, that's a little bit more, a lot bit more, than I kind of like his teachings. He's got some good advice for my marriage and how to forgive and things like that. When we say we value Jesus being the center, it means that he is our life. And in fact, if we unpack the gospel, if we unpack a little bit more the message of the gospel, this comes even more to light. Um, if I could, I'd like to take you back to Christmas for a moment. And in Luke chapter 2, that's the well-known Christmas account, we remember how the shepherds were in the, the fields outside of Bethlehem. It was a dark night. All of a sudden, this big light appears, one angel and then thousands of angels, but one angel first appears. The shepherds, as you, know, you would too, were really scared when they saw this huge light. And then here's what we read in Luke chapter 2 um, on verse 10. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. Why? I bring you good news of great joy. Not great advice. Not, I bring you a great way to live so that God loves you. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. But at the essence of news is not something to do. News is something that's been done. And the thing that takes away our fear is not me daily working to earn God's love and to hope that he forgives me, but it's news about that which has already been done. In fact, good news in the Greek is really the word, anyone know? Gospel. In some places it's translated good news, in some places it's gospel. The, the essence of Jesus is not what we do and not what, um, and how we get his love, but just 
news. It's trust in history. And that's different than any other religion. Any other way that people try to get into God's good graces, all of them have to do with good advice and, and good encouragement. This is good news. It's trust in history. Trust in what's been done. And you know where that comes to be a great comfort? Is <laughs> because we don't follow advice very well. I mentioned on Christmas Eve that even the laws we make for ourselves, we break. They're called New Year's resolutions, right? The laws we make for ourselves, we break, much less the laws that someone else makes for us. But our hope in having Jesus at the center is not the direction he gives us primarily. It's the news of what he's done. It's a status that we have. That doesn't change. Uh, on the days that we've followed Jesus really well, and you have those days, don't you? Where you made the right decision, and you know based on the Bible that that is what you should have done. And it is good to feel good about that. And there's those other days where because of the environment you're in or just because of a bad day, you just, you know you screwed up. And you won't admit it to your husband, you won't admit it to your wife, but you know it was a bad day following Jesus today. It doesn't matter because we, good news, have the same status with God on both those days. Because it's a trust in what he's done, not a trust in the advice that he gives. And the thing I want you to understand today with Jesus at the center is that it is hope for the future and a gift that God's going to give, but what we cannot, why we, we cannot end until we remember the other part. It is a new life to live. With Jesus at the center is a new life to live. Naturally, our tendency is to make who the center. Here's your choices. Jesus or me. <laughs> Naturally, we have the tendency to make me the center. Now, have you ever been around a situation where someone made an event all about them that wasn't supposed to be about them? Has that ever happened? Um, I have a confession. Uh, about once a year or so, uh, our family goes to, to Chuck E. Cheese to celebrate a birthday. And um, I, I have a problem. Um, I really love the skee-ball game, the balls that you throw, and then it pops up and goes into one of the, the numbered holes. And, and honest truth, I try to stay away from it. Um, but inevitably, it's happened more than once, one of my younger kids will come up to me and say, Dad, can you play skee-ball for me? Because you get tickets out of there, and I'm that good that they come and ask me to, to roll the ball for them. And so inevitably, I end up going over there, and I'm also the token holder, so I end up putting a few more tokens in there for me than I, I really should. And I make Chuck E. Cheese, which is supposed to be about kids, I make it about me, and an adult making Chuck E. Cheese about them, I mean, that's embarrassing. Um, but I'm confessing to you. Now, as embarrassing as that is, and as wrong as that is, to make this life about us, you can't stop it altogether. 
You've tried. I've tried. Remember status? We're God's child. Forgiveness is ours. We can't stop it altogether. But my friends, we sure need to work on making Jesus-centered our value. We can grow in doing that better. We can understand that having Jesus at the center is like this concrete form that when you put that into place, it's going to affect the direction of your life. That the values that you have are like concrete forms that will affect the life that you have. It won't make it perfect, but it will affect it. And what joy there is. To put Jesus at the center, that was something cool enough to change someone's name over. Peter, little stone. And by God's grace, I know you have that desire. You also have God's Holy Spirit to help you in this new year as a church and as Christians to put Jesus at the center. Let's pray.